Episode 52. The one where my dad's bigger than your dad. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theogyras out there. How we doing? I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts. Theonauts. You know what I love about the live stream? What's that? I'm watching it right now, and there's an Apple computer on your side and an OU helmet on my side. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Anyways, how you doing, David? See, like a, uh, yeah, no, hey, hey, come on. <laughs> it needs to shine out there. Everybody needs to know how beautiful OU is. Anyways. Oh, yes, you and your pride. We did. I, th- I, I thought we broke you there. Hey, I listened week. to a really good episode of The Theonauts about that not too long ago. <laughs> Yeah, we don't it. learn anything or or <laughs> change yeah. our lives because of this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> we just give you the facts, right? <laughs> so I just report like Brian Gumble. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're like Fox. We give you the facts, you decide, right? Yeah, another tag that, or something like that. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> we report, you decide. you decide. Yeah, yeah. So, how was your week? Oh, it's been good. Yeah. It's been raining like crazy over here in I'm, Texas. I feel like no. We're about to float away. Man. Seriously, I man, I'm I'm about done with the rain. Honestly, <laughs> and uh, come August, you're gonna be like begging the for rain. rain. Yeah, man, everything's hot, full though. Crazy, like, all our lakes, all our ponds, everything's overflowing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we uh, we're gonna be under a drought this year. Doesn't, not like doesn't what, seem that way. Not like it? it was when I first came here, man. Can't even mow or anything right now. I know. It's it's a swamp land around my house, and it's not through. No, it's supposed to keep on for the rest of the week. Keep on going, starting tomorrow, yeah, or tonight. It's scary. <laughs> so is that what we've been reduced and to? The Red River looks like a river again. It does. That's true. It's like wow. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, have you ever gone noodling? <laughs> no, I've not gone noodling. <laughs> I have friends who have who have noodled, really? but no, that's not my thing. <laughs> I'm not sticking my arm in, in a hole in a dirty river. No, not letting the catfish bite and, on it. No, 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 no. It's not going to happen. I've seen too many snakes. Are you in sure places. you're from Texas? <laughs> yes, and I've seen too many snakes in those rivers. Okay, I understand. I know better than to do something this like trouble that. I've never been either. I just wanted to know if you were. You know, I'm from Kansas. We don't do crazy things like that. Yeah. There. Well, you know, I I know some people in uh, Mississippi. That, that noodled. So it's not just Texas. <laughs> yeah. Thing. In fact, it's probably around uh, Louisiana and Mississippi in that area. Oh yeah, it's a big thing. Yeah. So, but I got some friends down there that bow fish too. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I've shot a fish with a bow and arrow. Once. Have you? Yeah, it was pretty fun. It was a big old drum. It took me like three shots, <laughs> but I got it. It was fun. It's fun. All right, so that's what. We've got. Okay. See you next week. Yeah. So bye. (laughs) And now the news. All right. I got a couple breaking uh, stories coming out of the U.S. uh, House of Representatives today. Um, They are voting on a couple things. The first one is a vote on a 20 week abortion ban, um, which is kind of a good step in the the right direction pro-life leaders are applauding the u.s house of representatives for uh scheduling a vote this week on the pain uh capable unborn child protection act which bans abortions after the 20th week of uh, pregnancy the measure was supposed to be voted on back in january on the eve of the annual march of life in washington but several influential republican lawmakers blocked the vote demanding changes in the bill's treatment of rape survivors who became pregnant as a result of that crime the vote is tentatively scheduled to occur on may 13th the anniversary of the conviction (coughs) of abortionist kermit gosnell convicted uh currently serving life in prison for three convictions of first degree murder he killed three infants born alive 
during attempted abortions. <laughs> Such a fine line there. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's 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 convicted of killing these these babies. Right, but as long as you're if they weren't as long yeah. as they're inside the womb, it's cool. It's all right. But if if they were alive outside the womb, Katie barred the door, and that's what's crazy. And this is again, this is a ban for twenty. They want twenty week ban. Okay, right. so. You can have an abortion up to the twenty weeks, which, like you said, before it's five months. Not gonna, not gonna shoot it down because it's a step in the right direction. That's right. But you it, know, all it's just disgusting. <laughs> all that being said, it's like it's, and and you said that they're holding like the holdup is well, there has to be an exception made for rape victims. Right. Okay. So let me get this straight. It's murder, unless the woman was raped. <laughs> and then it's not murder. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, we're sorry about the situation, but the situation is the situation. Yeah. First off, <laughs> rape victims present, oh, about 0.003% of, of the, the abortion population. Yeah. Not only that, but, uh, but yeah, what you're absolutely saying is right. They could, there are so many other alternatives. Adoption being the number one. And it's ridiculous that we go, Oh well, because it's a rape victim, we're gonna punish the baby for what the dad did, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous, but that's just my humble opinion, and uh, you can you can <laughs> see that I'm I'm pretty uh, not at all riled up about that. But uh, I, you know, it's just uh, it's amazing to me. This is the world we live in. Yeah, twenty week ban. Now it, it's said to save about if they pass this about thirteen thousand. Unborn babies a year are going to be saved by this, so that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm completely cool with all that. Yeah, I just I can't believe five months. <laughs> but 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 another little weird thing for me about this whole thing is like, okay, let's ban it if it hurts. So I mean, think about that outside the womb. <laughs> so murder would be okay if it if it was painless, right? Right. Beheadings are usually painless from what I understand. Oh, yeah. Shot in the head is painless. Yes. <laughs> well, it depends. What caliber are you using? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. But the truth is, yeah. But, it, yeah, if it's quick and sudden and bam. I mean, even, even lethal injection is painless. Right? Yeah. Uh, other than the pinprick. So I'm telling you, it's just a messed up. It's a messed up morality that we live in. Oh, well, you've got to, again, you've got to argue abortion purely on, and, and now if you do this, Planned Parenthood, those advocates for abortion, they really don't have a leg to stand on anymore. Yeah. Because if you argue it on human life, the definition of life and the definition of human, yeah. they don't We've have We've left that, fi- that playing field. Right. We're in crazy land. Right. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'll take the victories where they, wherever we can too. get them. That's crazy. Um, another thing that's happening this afternoon, actually, the U.S. Senate uh, sent a strong message to Iran and the Obama administration this afternoon by unanimous, unanimously voting in favor of a resolution calling on the Obama administration to, in the words of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, use the tools it has in pursuit of what should be a bipartisan goal, securing the release of American citizens being held hostage by the regime in Iran. Uh, This is basically focused on one person in particular, uh, Saeed, um, Pastor Saeed Abedini, Mm -hmm. who has been held hostage there for many years now, um, beaten, uh, denied access to medical care, locked away in solitary confinement simply because he wanted to plant an orphanage in Iran. And so um, uh, this is a really good step uh, towards hopefully getting some justice for him and right. and for others who have been imprisoned, uh, American citizens, by the way, who have been imprisoned uh, illegally uh, in Iran. Yeah, it really is amazing to me how we haven't seen any more action on this particular issue than what we have. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. <clears throat> I, you know, and I really have to chalk it up to our current administration. On, <laughs> yeah. Honestly. But, uh, I mean, if it would have been... If it had been Bush, we'd have been bombing them, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, the seals go in. Yes. yes. Yeah. Although, yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> um, I have one more. Uh, oh, man. I say one more. Yeah, I have one more uh, 
basically serious article. Uh, Pew, a new Pew report, Pew research report came out. Evangelical stay strong as Christianity crumbles in America. That's basically what they've titled this one. Um, they did, uh, according <clears throat> to the recent census they took, um, they found that uh, evangelical Protestants have only declined 1% um, in the past, uh, since 2007, whereas uh, all the rest, like unaffiliated Catholic, mainline Protestant, non-Christian affiliations have declined more than 5% um, in the past five years. Um Actually, they uh, those labeled evangelical are more popular among all Christian groups. Uh, all Christians are more likely to consider them born again or evangelical. Half of self-identified Christians described themselves this way in 2014, up from 44% in 2007, including 72% of those in historically black Protestant churches, up from 67%. Um, this research, man, they, they did extensive research on evangelicalism uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's pretty interesting you can find the the report at christianitytoday.com but uh born again uh evangelical identity among protestant families 75 percent of baptists say that they're born again evangelicals whereas 22 percent say they're not methodist 45 percent 78 percent non-denominational lutheran i mean it just goes on the so it's just a war of words. It is all it's it is. Semantics. Is a war of words. Exactly. And here's the. But this is the most interesting thing. Um, every denomination has declined in the past five years, except for one, which is non-denominational. <laughs> Those that are non-denominational have actually risen uh, at least like five percent or something. Hmm. So. What that tells you is, is everybody's getting tired of the stupid names, and they're going back to, I want to be a Christian, and I don't want to be affiliated right. with these denomination junk. Well, because we've, we we put all these blankets in these buckets around, like we throw a blanket over that group and just write them all off because right. they believe X, Y, Z. Yeah. Without even knowing the people. We don't know what they really believe. We don't know. If people are born and raised in systems all the time where that's the only thing they know. Yeah. And it's like we just, and then and then you've got um, all this this other um, divis- divisive things that happen because we divide ourselves away from other groups. And, exactly, and uh, it's pretty amazing how you know <clears throat> we're getting away from that as a culture. Mm-hmm. And they say it's crumb of Christianity is crumbling, but what I think it's doing is actually refreshing itself. Yeah, like a lake turns over. Mm-hmm. I think what we're doing is going. I don't. I don't really care about that junk anymore. What I care about is, you know, the gospel. Well, go all the way back to the first century. Was it like this? No, no not at all. <laughs> and so maybe we have declined. Right. Already. Yeah. Maybe this is a restoration. Hey, <laughs> that's uh that's absolutely true. Uh, the other thing this Pew report found was that Hindus, Muslims, and Jews had the highest retention rates out of any religion. So uh, Christianity is is down there. Uh, evangelical Protestantism. I, you know, I, you know, I think sixth. that's related to. That, that, I think that's just related to the fact that we're all free. Yeah, and it doesn't cost us anything to be a Christian. Oh, that's so true. So it's real easy to go in and out of that. Yeah, I mean, you can ask anybody on the street, "You a Christian?" Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Their right. life might not reflect anything of Christ, right? At all, absolutely. But because they're not a Muslim, yeah, they will they will claim claim it or whatever, right? And so, obviously, whenever that's part of the price of freedom. Yeah, I also I also think part of it is uh, family ties. I think it's a Muslims, I mean, there's a cultural tie into being a Muslim, and Jews, there's a cultural tie into being a Jew, uh, as opposed to Christianity, where it's like you know, white Christianity. I don't know, or you no. Know, do you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pride thing. Yeah, it's a cultural pride thing. <laughs> well, you know, like saying I'm Irish or you know I'm Jewish. You know, yeah. uh, but uh, it's you know. Among Protestant denominational families, nearly six in ten of those raised Baptist still identifies Baptist. It's pretty good, uh, but it shows this whole rate: Anabaptist, Lutheran, Adventist, Pentecostal. It shows all of them uh, where they basically decline. The you know who were raised 
in the church have, have left. And so you can check that out. Like I said, go to ChristianityToday.com and, uh, and check that out. But it's pretty interesting research, those Pew Group guys. So uh, that's all the main news I have. Oh, okay, well. Brothers and sisters, come together. Hallelujah, the Pope is here. <laughs> <laughs> On May 11, Pope Francis said Monday that many powerful people don't want peace because they live off of war. He was answering a young boy's question, what is peace and how can we obtain peace? And he said, basically, it's because other people are making a living off of war. He said, some people, some powerful people make their living with the production of arms. It's the industry of death. And so he was speaking out against war. Pretty good, Mr. Pontiff. But my favorite, my favorite story. From Creator the, of the Crusades. That's right. Oh, oh no. ouch. Sorry. Oh. No, my favorite story of the Pope comes, it's this beautiful picture. Go to CNA.com. That's the Catholic Nudes Agency.com. And you can pull up this beautiful picture of the Pope spinning a Harlem Globetrotter basketball on his finger with the Harlem Globetrotter standing around him. He was visited on May 7th by the Globetrotters, and uh, and he took some pictures with them. It's a great thing. On Thursday, Pope Francis demonstrated his keen interest in uniting sports with faith, telling members of Italy's Lazio Club, I don't even know what that is, I think soccer or something, not to let training or competition trump their spiritual essentials. He said, sometimes it happens that a guy or a girl due to training and competitions forgets about mass and catechism. This is not a good <coughs> sign. It means we have lost the scale of values, the Pope told members of the Italian sports club. He spoke to the club the second of three days, meeting with different sports teams and associates, including the Harlem Globetrotters during yesterday's <laughs> general audience. Between snapping pictures and teaching the Pope how to spin the ball on his fingers, the team gave him a jersey with the name Pope Francis along with the number 90. <laughs> wow. So, uh, wow. It, it never ceases to entertain. Now the Pope is a Harlem Globetrotter. And that's <laughs> the Pope news. <laughs> Thank you, thank yes. you, thank you. Welcome again you, uh, to Theo Trivia. <laughs> You're uh, winning from last I heard. I am winning. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be for long, but okay. So uh, where are you at? I am on Prophecy. Okay. This one's so easy. It's so fresh. Okay. Oh, now watch me not get it, and I'll look like a total idiot. <laughs> Who prophesied the mas- madness of King Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> hmm. Really? Really? You have to wait this long? <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> uh, let's see. Shadrach. <laughs> Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's wrong. It was Balthazar. Balthazar. Oh, Balt or Belshazzar. Ba- I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, hey, I should I'm not Babylonian. What are you talking extra about? Extra points for that yeah, one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, go ahead. Okay, you're on history and geography. Yeah, right? that's one behind. Okay. Obviously. Well, two behind now. Oh, whatever. What Greek name for afterlife? Wait a minute. We already did that one. I got your cards from last week. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, here it is. This is a good one. What was the Old Testament name for Ethiopia? (laughs) I mean, I know in the New Testament it's Ethiopia. What is it in the Old Testament? Uh... Mordor. <laughs> I have no clue. What? What is it? You're right. Yes. <laughs> it's where Sauron comes from, right? It's awesome. Cush. Oh, Cush. Yeah, I know. C U S H. Yeah. Cush. Yeah. That's uh. Who? Where is that at? Ethiopia. In scripture. Oh, it's actually uh, in the King James, 
It's all over the place. Okay. Yeah, every time they talk about Ethiopia, they use the Kush. They use Kush. Whatever. <laughs> no, I'm too behind. It's <clears throat> awesome. All right. You're under names. Oh, yes, I am. Who was the father? Who was the father of Joram, king of Judah? <laughs> Uh, the father of Joram. I'm going to go with Josiah. No. It was King Ahab. Ahab. The, yes. the bad guy. Yeah. Up in the northern Josiah, kingdom. I think Josiah was after Joram. I don't know. Uh, yes, he would have been. Yeah, I'm going through my, my Matthews begins. But it would have been in a different kingdom altogether. Josiah was in the Southern Kingdom. Joram and Jahab, Hezekiah. You got a song? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Abraham had Isaac. Isaac he had Jacob. Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and that would be a long song. Came from oh, it's really cool. It's by Andrew Peterson. It's called Matthew's Begats. It's on his Christmas <laughs> album. You've got to listen to it, dude. It's, wow. it's pretty neat. Pretty neat. Okay, he's really awesome. Okay, okay all right, I so got you, one more. You are on history and I don't even want to do it. Okay, go ahead. <sighs> defeatist oh, okay. attitude. <clears throat> no, you got you got this. You got this. Now I'm gonna look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> what what is the first book in the Bible named after a woman? I'm ready. Ruth. That's my sainted so mother's name. So we also. each got a question based on our previous study. That's right. But I'm still winning. So because this is Theonaut, yeah, I thought we would talk about God today. Oh, okay. God. God. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh, all I'm doing. Is replaying in my mind over and over again Monty Python's Holy Grail. Whenever God comes out and they're like, da, 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 da. they're like, what are you doing? Groveling, my lord. Stop, Stop it. groveling. If it's one thing I can't it's miserable. Say, it's like those memorable psalms. <laughs> <laughs> Woe is me. That's not like God. But I'm averting my eyes, oh lord. <laughs> we'll quit that. <laughs> good idea, oh lord. Of course it is. Of course it's a good idea. <laughs> So I figured we would talk about God in his natural attributes versus his not not actually verses, but natural attributes and then swing it to his moral attributes. Um, so it, could we say the topic really is who is God? Yes. Who is this guy we call God? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know, he's, and there's a song. Is there a song for this one? No, there's no song. God is omnipresent. <laughs> God is omniscient. <laughs> we could write a song. That's awesome. Man, we're giving it away. Okay, okay sorry. So who is God? David, to you, who is God? Um, God. Creator, almighty. All right. Father. Yes. Uh, savior, redeemer. Savior, redeemer. Good. Awesome. To me, that's the exact same thing. So we're pretty much done. We'll see you. Lord. I'm joking. Um, I think the best thing to do is to go naturally and talk about God's nature, who God is mm-hmm. in his nature. It's really interesting, the study. I mean, we can gain so much from Scripture. And but we I, only have like a limited perception uh, yeah. well, of his nature. Well, whenever, We can only use like Scriptures to reflect what we know. We really can. And the best description I can use... To, to describe this limited understanding is imagine a kindergartner trying to understand his teacher. Right? Okay. You, you can't, you cannot grasp who your teacher is. I mean, your mind is just not, not there, you know, and there's mm-hmm. so many different, that's why theology <clears throat> is just a wide open 
the study of God himself is just a wide open topic. But we can try to get a glimpse of maybe who God is. And it's been, you know, that's been, I believe, our human nature ever since the dawn of man is to try to glimpse who God is, well, who our creator is. And if you take this to our personal lives here with what we see and know and all that, we know who our dad on earth is. I mean, we know how our father is. And when we, even as a little kid, we aspire to know our dads. Yeah. So that because we naturally want to emulate him yeah. and to be like him. And I think it's the same thing on, on a grander scale of what right. we're dealing with here. We want to know him. And, and we, you know, you think about, I think that Christianity is all about relationship anyway. It's about getting that relationship with him back that we lost at the garden of Eden. Right. So you're trying to build this relationship and it's hard to do that if you don't know who you're building it with, if you don't know anything about him at all. Right. And so that's why, I mean, this study I think is so important, just understanding some basics about who God says he is in scripture um, as God reveals himself to us. Of course, I believe uh, we have general revelation about God and we have specific revelation, specific revelation, general revelation. I mean, that's not nature itself speak that there's a God. When we look out at nature, mm-hmm. we see in its organization, uh, in its creation that there had to have been a creator. Okay? Yeah. Romans one. They're without excuse. That's right. He has made himself known in the very essence of life. Right. But if he would have left it at that, we would have missed out on so much more of, mm-hmm. of who God is. And so he gives us specific revelation, and that's where we get Scripture. Scripture gives us specific pictures of who God is by what he says he is. Mm-hmm. The very first time that God really reveals himself, I think, in Scripture, really reveals himself is to a guy named Moses at the burning bush, right? Right. And uh, what he says is... I got that verse pulled up, actually. Awesome. Read it. Okay. So uh, whenever Moses is talking with him, uh, of course, Moses is scared because God is telling him, I need you to go back to Egypt where you just escaped from. Right. <laughs> and what is uh, what is that scripture, by the way? It's in Gen- uh, sorry Exodus 3. Right. And um, <clears throat> I'll start with verse 11. Okay. I'm reading in the, the NET. It says, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He replied, surely I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you when you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, if I go to the Israelites and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. Mm. And he said, you must say this to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Yes. So the very first thing that God really reveals himself as is he exists. He exists. He is. And I, I really think that this subscribes to one of God's core um, elements of his of his nature. God has always existed. Right. He was there in the beginning. <clears throat> He's there in the end. He dwells. The Bible says outside of time. Well, and that is part of what I think is so cool about the statement "I am." It's two words. Right? It's very simple. In fact, in Hebrew, it's only one word. Right. <laughs> it's like yara. Yeah. Exist. That is me. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Um, this in, in even in English when we read it, I am. It's such a simple sentence, but what it implies is, I did not have a beginning, I do not have an end, I am unknowable on so many levels. It's just you just have to accept the fact that I exist. Yes, that I am, and and of course we're going to get to how he exists in what planes and all this sort of thing. Right. But um, this you mentioned this whole thing about in a different t- plane or whatever, different plane Dwelling of outside of time, yeah. <clears throat> so um, a lot of us think of time, and this is just the science geek coming out on me. I uh, love this, though. You, it's really deep. Because, you know, I'm, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I went to school for science. <laughs> right. So, and so this stuff sticks with me. But um, we have this perception of eternity, especially when, when we read the Bible and we read about eternity, and we have this idea that is just a lot of time. Yeah. That is just a, you know, 
we have this linear progression that we're, you know, we're born, we, you know, go to school, we go to junior high, we go to high school, we graduate, we get married. Everything's on a timeline for right. us yeah. until the day you die. And so we, ha- we have a hard time thinking non-linearly. Right. Everything has to be linear. But uh, past, present, future. Right. Has to be. But whenever you start studying things like the theory of relativity, that everything by Einstein, everything's relative, that there's that when you can go at super uh, um, photonic speed, like the speed of light, when you can go that fast, time starts to bend around that. The, time is, is relative to what you perceive right. and how fast you're moving and how much gravity is on you. I mean, there's all these, these things. Yeah. And I started thinking about this one time. I was like, well, is God constrained by... Light, is he constrained? He is light, from yeah. what we can <clears throat> understand. Um, is he constrained by speed? Is he constrained by uh, gravity? No, he's not constrained by any of right. those things. And all of those things are what makes time function in a linear fashion. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So he has to, by his very nature, exist outside... outside. Of that linear structure, so eternity to God is not a, just a bunch of time; it is the complete absence, right, of time. Right, it's, there is no no time, and um, I the best way I I can imagine this if we again I say we're like kindergartners trying to understand quantum mechanics here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that we can fully grasp this, but. My thing is, I see time like a, a linear progression, of course, past, present, future, right? <clears throat> 1800 over here, and then on down is 1900, and then 2000, right? And it's on. And I look, and I when I think God dwelling outside of time, I think God steps out of that whole idea, and he's everywhere at all times, which... Well, well there are some metaphors that people in the scientific community use all the time to help help us get our minds around this. Right. Uh, one, have you, have you heard, um, was it Eric in the, the, uh, flat world or flat land or whatever it is, flat Eric, you know, right. <laughs> where this guy's just, he's two dimensional. He doesn't have to have three dimensions. Right. And the whole concept of that is to help you understand what it would be like to live in two dimensions and how magical and mysterious it would be to move into a third dimension. Yeah. And, the idea is if there are other dimensions besides the three that we move around in, then um, that's what God, you know, experiences. So right. one of the metaphors that is often used is like the the like the Macy's Day uh, Thanksgiving Day parade. Parade, yeah. Okay, you when you're in New York watching the the parade happen, you're standing on a street corner, right, and you get to see the first float. And then the second float, right. and and you have you're forced to experience the parade linearly in a linear fashion. Right. It's the only way you can view it. Yeah. However, if you were in the top of a skyscraper looking down on the parade, you would not only see what was on that corner, right. but you would be able to see what was in the front. What had already gone by that corner, what was yet to come, right. you would see the things that's future for that corner. You could see the whole thing. And being now you have a power that the guy on the corner doesn't have. If you had a parachute, you could choose to drop and touch anywhere <laughs> into that linear progression you wanted to. That's absolutely true. And, and that's what God can do. Right. And that's uh, that that speaks to his, his next attribute, I guess. He's, he's everlasting. The Bible says, Psalm 92, ever, from everlasting to everlasting mm-hmm. um you are god and uh that's that's absolutely true he's he's alpha the bible describes him as alpha and omega the beginning and end mm. which are of course the the greek alpha you know oh, yeah uh beginning and it was just so awesome when and you there's think about so that. much we can go on about oh, yeah. that little statement alone but then it when you think about the fact that he's everlasting you have to acknowledge the fact that he's everywhere at all times right he, Which ties in perfectly to what we were saying about the parade. Absolutely. Um, uh, Psalm 139, 7-10 speaks of this. Isaiah 41, 10 speaks of this. But I want to focus real quick on John chapter 1. 
Okay. Because I think whenever we think of God the Father, I think we have to apply some of this to God the Son. Yes, and I think and that's one of the things I want to really focus on anyway. Sure. Is because let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is God incarnate. Right. And and so that's that's going to be very important. For Absolutely. Us. John 1, 1, in the beginning mm-hmm. was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, this is talking about Jesus, uh, the Word Logos, um, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. I really think John's saying that Jesus is the most logical thing. But really interesting. Anyways, or the word. He's he's the spoken word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So basically what we're saying is Jesus was there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, Jesus, and, he, and he was God. And he was God. You know, And actually God used through Christ, created the world. Pretty yeah. neat. So... Um, that just speaks to the fact that Jesus is God. Right. It's pretty neat um, when you when you look at it. But. Well, um, one thing that that I think is interesting to note here is this ties in also with that Alpha and Omega statement because yeah. uh, Alpha and Omega obviously is the first and last letter of the alphabet. Right. If you were to translate that into Hebrew, it would be Aleph Tav. Those are the Aleph and Tav are the first and the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So now if you put those two things together, Aleph, Tav, if you put those together, it doesn't spell anything. However, amazingly, it shows up all throughout the Old Testament. Really? Untranslated. None none of the translations translate it. And... Uh, because no one knows it's not a, it's not a real Hebrew word, but right. why is it there? And and what's funny is to start looking at where it is. It, it is conspicuously in places where the word God could be placed. So yeah. the very first verse of the Bible has it in it. Wow! In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and so the word um, not only Elohim but Elohim is what's translated as God. God there, right. but you also have this untranslated word in there as well. And uh, if we if we tie this into into this verse where it says the word yeah. was God and was with God in the beginning, it, it's like it, there's a wordplay thing happening here. Right, yeah, it, it, that is so deep. We'll have to go into that study some other time. <laughs> but it's really cool of how layered this whole. Word of God and the Alpha and Omega and all that is oh, tied yeah. into. I mean, if you haven't by now, go back and listen to our, our numbers mm-hmm. uh, uh, episode and just see how layered Scripture is. Yeah, yeah with it this, gets crazy. This kind of stuff. It's absolutely amazing. I, I wanted to pull up, um, according to God's omnipresence, that's the word everywhere, right? Omnipresence. Right. Uh, Psalm 139, 7 through 10, I mentioned this is a really great scripture for this. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take uh, the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand uh, shall hold me. Uh, so it basically says God is actually everywhere. Right. I think of uh, Solomon whenever he's uh, he's building he's built his temple and he's dedicating it. What he says is basically we built this for God, but God won't. He can't dwell in this. Yeah. Because no building it made, can't contain him. Yeah, made by human hands can contain God. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't dwell in anything. Uh, I also think of uh, Paul on Marsh Hill. Um, in Acts uh, 17, when he talks about the fact that God doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands. Yes. Uh, and he needs nothing. So God is big. He's really, really big. I mean, he's <laughs> huge. He's unimaginably to, huge. To put it simply. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so that's it's just amazing character of who God is. He exists, and he's everywhere, and he's everlasting. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. So the next thing we have to look at is the fact that God is unchanging, which is really interesting. And another thing that I can't wrap my head around because everything changes here. Yes. Right? We have the law of entropy. 
<laughs> which says that <laughs> yeah, everything, everything decays goes from order to chaos. Order to chaos. We have the idea that you know, as you grow and change, everything changes for you, uh, from the minute you're born <laughs> to the minute you die, and you know, nothing is the same. I remember the first time I went back to my hometown after four years, right, mm-hmm. and uh, and I go back and. Everything was different. I mean, all the buildings, there were so many different buildings, and Wichita was actually growing up at this time, and, and it was filling in. And I used to live in the country uh, back whenever I lived there in Augusta, right outside of Wichita. And now Wichita and Augusta were, I guess, like was, one, yeah, yeah, one thing. And I'm going, <laughs> What in the world happened? It's like <laughs> everything changed. But it's a, it's a comforting reminder that God never changes. Uh, I just want to look at a couple verses. Malachi 3.6. Let's pull that one up real quick. Okay. And while you're pulling that up, I'm going to pull up... Um, the Italian. Yes. <laughs> Malachi. Malachi. I'm well, going to pull up James 1.17. Okay. What was that verse in Malachi? Malachi 3.6. 3.6. My wife will probably get really irritated that I'm mispronouncing it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she got so upset that we kept calling Orpa Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were doing that on purpose. She's like, I know. Okay. Uh, okay. In Malachi 3, verse 6, there you go. it says, Since I, in the NET, the Lord, do not go back on my promises, you sons of Jacob have not perished. Right. God never goes back on his promises. If he makes a covenant, he fulfills it. Promise keeper. Yeah, he's a promise keeper. It's pretty awesome. Um, uh James 1, uh, 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, shadow due to change. The idea is that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hmm. He never changes. That's an interesting phrase that you came up with there. God is... The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yeah, sounds right familiar. Yeah, it's a scripture. Yeah. Well, uh, where is that? It's Hebrews, right? Yes, Hebrews thirteen. It's in Hebrews thirteen. Yeah. But is it talking about God the Father? No, it's not. It actually says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, unchanging, and forever. He's completely unchanging. Now, if Hebrews is saying that Jesus is unchanging, and we're saying uh, all through Scripture actually yes. says that God is unchanging. What does that say about the nature of Jesus? That he is God. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, it's funny. Uh, my son had a really interesting conversation with the Jehovah's Witnesses the other day. Awesome. <laughs> it was, it I can't was wait. funny. The Jehovah's Witnesses came up to the door. <laughs> so good. And uh, I showed up about halfway through the conversation. I guess about halfway. I don't know. He'd been really talking with them for a while, and I walked up, and the guy was like... Uh, yeah, we're just here encouraging people to read their Bibles, and I don't think that's going to be a problem with your son. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we started talking, and uh, in, anyway, uh, they they once two of us showed up, were there. They I, I don't know if they were feeling outgunned or whatever, but they they left. I really wanted would like to have talked to them. Yeah, you know, but. But anyway, I started talking with uh, Kevin about some of the things that they discussed. And this was, of course, one of their big things is uh, you're not using God's real name. The, the translation that you use doesn't really use God's name. It uses this word God, and that's not fair because he's really Jehovah. And <laughs> they wanted to just go way off onto all this. So did you talk to him about Yahweh, Vahe? And- oh, I didn't have a chance to do all that. Oh, yeah, but, that's right. They, they'd left. But... Um, but yeah, the so when we were talking about names of God and this sort of thing, anyway, yeah. you get to this point to where you have Jesus claiming the same stuff, right? Like, um, it, and it ties in perfectly with how he's his God's attribute of never changing ties to Jesus, right? Okay, but if we look at what Jesus, remember God told Moses in the uh, um, in the burning bush. I am right. that I am. Okay. Well, this, oh, man. Yeah. This is a, a something that a, a, a lot of people don't realize, but that term, that sentence was reserved for God because it was so revered that he said that. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And he said it as a defining statement that the Jews were like, we're, we won't use that right. phrase. So if you, so I was to ask you, you know, uh, are you Jeremiah? 
I am. You would not say that. You'd <laughs> no. Go, yes. They go. Uh, uh, you're not. I am. Right. Because if you said I am, it would be the equivalent of you claiming to be God. It That's would be right. blasphemous. Oh yeah. The, one of the cool things about that is Jesus does it all the time. Yeah. I mean, over and over, over and over and over. And of course, people talk about the seven I am's of Jesus, and but there's more than seven. There. Right. He he has he does the I am thing. All the time, and one of the, one of the places that, uh, unless you were keen to this, you wouldn't understand why the Pharisees were so upset with him. But in John eight, Pharisees are having this conversation with uh, with Jesus, right? And um, and let's see, uh, where is it exactly? Jesus is is kind of getting upset with them here, and oh, it's in in the latter part of it. Jesus says in verse 54, uh, if I glorify myself, my glory is worthless. The one who glorifies me is my father about whom you people say he is our God. Yet you do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know, but I do not, but I do know him and I obey his teaching. Your father Abraham was overjoyed to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Judeans replied, You are not 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the solemn truth. Before Abraham came into existence, I am. Wow. And of course, it says then they picked up stones to throw at him. Oh yeah, definitely <laughs> because that was it blasphemy. Yeah, and because he claimed, I am. I he am. claimed to be God. And there's some subtle ways that Jesus does this too. One quick one I want to mention is in John 19, John, where Jesus is being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, and the soldiers come up, the Hebrew soldiers. They come up to get him. Yeah, and they're like, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and uh. Jesus's reply was in the King James. It says, "I am He," but the word "He" you'll notice is asterisk is a, or um, italic in yeah, italics, italicized, which means there's no Greek word for it. Right. What He said was, "I am." Yahweh. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever He said, "I am," it says they fell to the ground. Right. Well. Just a cursory reading makes it sound like, well, what's wrong with these guys? Why are they falling to the ground? It was the power of what he said. Yeah. Was was he claimed to be God? And they were so shocked by that Whoa. that they were like, what? Yeah. And so, I mean, it was kind of like... You know, over and over in Scripture, Jesus makes reference to himself being God. Yeah. One of my favorite is uh, the rich young ruler coming up to him. And... Uh, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, and a lot of people miss this. Jesus just casually says, and it's, you know, it's cryptic almost. He says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, I'm God. I love that. But anyways, uh, another one that, that kind of focuses um, Jesus, but it's also one of God's characters. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And I've got... Uh, some verses to pull up here. The first one, Psalm 139, 1 through 2, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You've searched out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows everything. Um, another one, First John three, for whoever our heart can, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Mm-hmm. He does. He He absolutely knows everything. Um, and if we want to tie it with Jesus, there's a really cool little story when Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking of, and this is in John one forty eight. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said to him. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under a fig under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay? Now He was praying. You're right. Nathaniel was praying under a fig tree to God. Mm-hmm. And what is what does Jesus say? I saw you under the fig tree. And we understand from Nathaniel's response, verse forty nine, Nathaniel answered him. 
Rabbi, you are the son of God. <laughs> In other words, this is it, right? And right. he follows him. Yeah. Uh, it's a great picture of not only God's om, uh, omniscience, God is all-knowing, omniscient, yes, but it's also Jesus, all-knowing. And there are things that that, according to Scripture, I guess God the Father holds from Jesus, hold, withholds from Jesus, like uh, no one knows the day or yeah the hour, not even Jesus, but. Uh, this doesn't mean that that Jesus is not God. It simply yeah. means, and this is all part of of the plan, right? So it's like, um, and I, we'll get to more of that oh, yeah. later. But this is God's design, and so it doesn't mean there's a lack of ability. Right. There is a plan. Right. And God is is doing the plan. Right. All right. So let's hit one more. I guess. Uh, uh, as far as God's nature, God is all powerful. Uh, you look up Second Corinthians six eighteen. I'll pull up Job, of course, um, which fits perfectly. Uh, Job forty two one and two. Um, I mean, the whole book of Job is about how powerful God is. I believe. Um, and how his ways are not our ways. Did you say Second Corinthians? Uh, yeah, Second Corinthians six eighteen. Oh, six eighteen. Yeah. 618 says, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the all powerful Lord, all powerful Lord. That word almighty means literally sovereign king, all powerful. He, Mm. he is completely and utterly all powerful. I love that word almighty. And of course, God is called almighty um, many times, but Job 42, one and two. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that there is no no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Um, So God is absolutely all-powerful. Have you ever heard the question, uh, if God is all-powerful, can he make a rock so big that he himself can't pick it up? You ever heard that? (laughs) Yes. That's one of those uh, questions that people who, uh, especially atheists, try to use to, to... discount the existence right of God. it's like a circular logic yeah it's question. a circular reasoning what came first the chicken or the egg exactly and uh we all know it's the chicken right <laughs> right right yeah yeah okay good did adam have a belly button did it i don't know maybe <laughs> no i you know but the, that question really brings me to god's we we looked at god's natural attributes let's look at god's moral attributes mm-hmm. the reason i say it brings me to god's moral attributes is because i do believe that god even though he is all powerful all seeing all knowing in every way he limits himself right. in ways well in um and I, I don't think i'm gonna hope i don't step on any of your points here. no you're not but but uh-huh. um one of the big questions that atheists also like to ask is if god is all powerful and he is all loving hmm. as we read about in in the scriptures then why do bad things happen right and uh my favorite answer ever i i read this on the internet one time which <laughs> is embarrassing to say but i'm going to use it anyways because it's so awesome uh there's the story about this guy who goes to a dentist right mm-hmm. and they strike up this conversation while the dentist is, has him in the chair and and uh, the guy says, I'm an atheist. And the dentist says, why? He's like, well, uh, we say that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and, and, uh, and all-loving and everything. Right. Why in the world do bad things happen to good people? And, uh, or why, why in the world do bad things happen, period? And, and uh, the dentist said, well, I don't believe in dentists. And he goes, what are, <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I mean, there's so many cavities in the world. And, uh, and there's so many, you know, bad teeth in the world and, and dentures and all this. It's just horrible, you know, people with bad breath and all this. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the guy goes, well, just because uh, they don't come to you doesn't mean that you don't exist. <laughs> right. Right. And I love that, that parallel. The, it's absolutely true. Uh, you know, just because we don't, we don't come to God doesn't mean that he exists. Yeah. But the real but, reason. But I think it ties right into what you're saying. Sure. God limits his, his, his uh, involvement yes. with us because he has uh, plans for us. Right. And those, and those plans have to do with 
our being reconciled to him, this relationship thing. And right. if we had no needs, if we had no problems, if we had no care in the world and everything was butterflies and gumdrops and flowers. <laughs> Puppy dog tails. We would never need him. Right. And we would never understand what it meant to need him. And I personally, I believe that's why there was a tree in the garden. Right. That that they shouldn't have eaten from. That's exactly God right. God could have chosen not to put that there, but he chose to put it there because we needed to fall in order to come back. He wants us to desire him. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason he created us. Not because he needed, because he wanted. Right. Right. And that's a that's a great thing. So, okay, let's look at God's moral attributes in some ways that he does limit himself. And the first one is God, I don't know if this one's so much moral as it is natural also, but I believe that there's one way that God describes himself in Scripture that trumps every other way, and that is God is holy. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, uh, oh, yeah. we have the story of Isaiah um, in the year that King Uzziah died seeing the Lord, having a vision of, of God. Um, it says, uh, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings, two he covered his face, Two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundation and the threshold shook with the voice of him who called, and the house is filled with smoke. So the idea is the first thing that we understand about God is that he is holy. This word holy, I think, gets tossed around a lot, and people don't really understand what it means so much. Right. I think when people hear the word holy, they think righteous or good or, mm-hmm. you know, more moralistically um, superior yeah superior (laughs) but uh the word holy simply has one meaning it means above and beyond or different than anything else Mm -hmm. set apart set apart god is absolutely set apart and it's just natural when we we look at his natural characteristics the fact that he is all-knowing all you know everywhere at all times uh, uh all-powerful he is absolutely set apart from everything in creation. Why? Because he's the creator and we are the creation. Mm-hmm. So he's totally 100% set apart. That's the first thing we have to r- realize. Not just, uh, and it's also interesting about that the fact that they, they use this term in threes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So An- what, another number thing. And this yes. is really interesting. Well, and in, in in we, we deal with, uh, we talked about Jesus being God, and there's another aspect of God we haven't mentioned, but that's the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so you have this the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus, you have God, and you have the angels proclaiming, holy, holy, holy. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not just like holy, holy a lot. Yes. Yeah. There's specific three holies that that's are right. that's consistently used. Um, and even the even in the very first uh, verse of the Bible, in the beginning, Elohim created that that word Elohim uh, is a plural right. word. They. It's it's grammatically right. wrong. Right. It's it's structurally wrong yeah. to, to, the way it's written, but it's theologically right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so that there's this point to the holy God's holy awesome holy. Yeah. So um, basically, what we're saying is God is is absolutely holy. God the Father is holy. God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit are holy. Uh, anytime you have any encounter with God <clears throat> in Scripture, anytime, the very first thing that happens is the person who is encountering God dramatically falls to his face before mm. him and proclaims, I'm unworthy to be yes. even in his presence because he is holy. Which is exactly what Isaiah did in the right. story here. In the story, Isaiah falls to his face. He says, woe me. In other words, I'm screwed because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell yeah. amongst a people of unclean lips and God purifies him. It's so cool. So mm-hmm. anyways, God is holy. Well, and, and just to build on that just for a second. Sure. There's this, uh, there's this image of grace that happens here. Yes. Because what did Isaiah do, physically do, to make himself worthy to come into the presence of God? Nothing. Nothing except for proclaim his unholiness. That's right. That All he did was say, I'm screwed. <laughs> he, he was like, he remembered the story of Nadab and Abihu who right. came into the holy place defiled. Right. And they were killed because they were unclean. And he knew it. And he was like, I'm unclean too. What are we going to do? And this 
image of grace happens where the seraphim takes a coal from the altar of incense, which, by the way, all the utensils in the temple had been consecrated, made holy, set aside, based on... That was cool. That was, Dude, that's an awesome... <laughs> wow, okay, good. So anyway, he was... Boom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the sh- and the pillars shook. shook. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, he has this image of where he takes this holy coal and he touches it to his lip right. lips to cleanse him. And then what is so awesome is the next thing God says, I got an impossible task for you. Who's going to do it? And he didn't even, he didn't even bat an eye. It's like, I'll do it. Send here, me. Here am I. Send me. Yeah. Now it wasn't like God said, uh, Hey, I've got a, I've got a great mission for you and we're going to be successful. <laughs> God said, I've got a mission for you and you're going to fail miserably and everyone's going to hate you. Right. And no one's going to listen to a word you say. And he goes, send me. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Because he had been in the presence of God, of this almighty presence. And that's all that mattered to him. And that was everything. Yeah. That, that trumps all the downside. That's right. Okay. Um, so the second uh, moral attribute I want to focus on, God is righteous. Over and over again in scripture, we see that God is named as a righteous judge. Uh, you can look up the entire chapter of Romans 3, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Because of time, I'm not going to go mm-hmm. through all that. But we have to say God is righteous. And what does the word righteous mean? Except it means God is always right. Yeah, just. He's Yeah, just, which is mm-hmm. another one of his characteristics. Deuteronomy 32, 3, and 4. And you, again, look these up whenever you want. Again, Romans 3. Man, God is just. He is righteous. And these refer mm-hmm. to him being a judge. Right. Right. He sits in judgment over all of creation. He is the only one that can set the mark. He's the only one that we can set our mark to. Yeah, we have an idea about what's just and what's right. This this justice um, that we have built into us. I mean, like we inherently know that killing somebody is wrong. Right. We don't need a law yeah. to tell us that. Well, apparently we do, except for abortion. But go ahead. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> but we have this. But you know, every every civilized uh, society has a pretty good idea that you know right. th- th- there's this moral right and wrong. Okay, yeah. but the thing is, we don't we don't get it to its full extent because God defines it. God defines what is just and what is morally right. For example, you read from Job. Right. Job didn't understand God. No, he had and no so clue. he felt wronged. Yeah. He felt like uh, he was like I am being honorable to you. I am I, I am doing what you uh, what, what you would want me to do. What have I done wrong? Okay, <laughs> that what and, and and that just got amplified. At first, he was willing to take it, but when his when his friends start showing up and saying, "Hey, you must have done something horrible for God. You must be a great sinner because you wouldn't have all this." <laughs> and so now he's like, oh, "Okay, so now my." my position with God's put into question over this stuff. Well, if I could just have an audience with God, I could fix it all. Right. And that, and that's where it gets back to our level of justice doesn't equate to God's level of no, justice it doesn't. because God shows up to Job and doesn't answer the question. Instead, he goes through three or four chapters of basically telling him, you are not me. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you are there and I am up here. <laughs> Completely different. You, you, you don't look, get it. I am. You're not. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, one thing I'd like to mention in relation to this, we as humans uh, uh, inherently want to compare ourselves to other people, mm-hmm. right? Well, I may not be righteous, but I'm more righteous than that guy. That's yeah. I, I that's may the not pride be thing just, once again, yeah, right? But I've got to be more just than that. Yeah, you know. And we go on and on. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm better than most. So, you know, I'm a good Midwestern boy. I don't cheat on my taxes or my girl. You know, I got values that can make the White House jealous. All this stuff. Um, that's not hard. No, it's not. <laughs> but the reality is, what is hard is when we look. At the standard set before us, yeah. and there's only one standard, and it's God. Yep. Period. He he makes the rules, <laughs> and we are we are called to follow right. them. We are called to be our very purpose. 
the very reason we exist, our, our actual purpose is, I believe, to be an image of God, mm. right? That's the reason he created us, to yes. be his image, right? Yeah. Now, are we being his image? We were Originally, we were created in his image. Right, exactly. And then we kind of goofed it up. Yes, know? we screwed it up. Yeah. And, you know, we are a warped image mm-hmm. because we are not righteous, we are not just. But that brings out my favorite... Moral. Like a man looking in the glass who forgets who he was. That's right. It brings up my favorite moral characteristic. Because after all of this is said and done, after we've named off God's natural attributes, so he's all-powerful, all-knowing, um, everywhere at all times, he's holy, he's righteous, he's just, all these things, it would not matter at all if we had a non-loving God. Because if he was... Uh, maleficent. <laughs> Mal, what's that word? Is that yeah? Right? No, that's good. If he was a the maleficent Disney God, villain, that's yeah. right. <laughs> if he was evil, or if he did not have a care for us, or if he was Scar, Scar, it'd be <laughs> totally pointless. Mm. But my favorite attribute is that God is love. Mm. He is love. Yes. So He provides a way for us through His Son Jesus Christ. He sacrifices himself for us. Hence, creating the image that we should be. Exactly. Which is absolutely amazing. And if you go through, I mean, we could spend more time, I think we're close to out of time, but we could yeah. spend more time on uh, the names of God. But, and, you know, we could look at Yahvehe, I am, El Shaddai. Uh, yeah, there's so much in the names of God oh, yeah. that tells us who Which he is. We should do a. A, a podcast on the names of God, but my favorite name of God, spoiler alert, is, you know, and you say Abba, right? Abba. Yeah. Abba, which the first time that's ever used is when Jesus uses it. And it blows the disciples' minds because mm-hmm. here they think of God as like Yahweh, Lord, the, yes. the El Almighty One, El Shaddai, this, this guy. Adonai. Yeah, who's, who's way above. Mm-hmm. And what does Jesus call him? He's our daddy. Yeah. That's Abba. so awesome. Yeah, because and, and Ab is the Hebrew or Aramaic for father. Right. Abba is a term of endearment. Yeah. Which is even more so. I mean, it's even it's a loving right. term of endearment. Right. Like daddy or papa or whatever. Potter in, <laughs> Potter. in, uh, in Latin. <laughs> so cool. So after all of this is said and done, we can say that our God is bigger and better than anything we can imagine, and yet he chooses to be our dad. Yeah, pretty great. Awesome. Yeah, amazing. It's amazing. <sighs> oh man. Well, the Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more and to partner with us, you can visit us at gctnetwork.com. You can also visit us at the Theonauts Pod. Oh, Theonauts Podcast. Dot com. Uh, you can also see us at gctnetwork.com and see us live now because we're broadcasting live as we speak. Don't I look pretty? (laughs) (laughs) And interact with us with the chat, uh, the chat room there. Uh, So where was I? Oh, and you can subscribe to the newsletter there too and stay up to date with the latest from all our shows, including our friends up in Tennessee, Finding Christ Christ in Cinema. Cinema. They're awesome. There are several ways to contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com. Call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, your favorite podcast catcher. And don't forget to leave us comments there and rate us. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. Follow us on Instagram at Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here. Thank you, David. Thanks for bringing the great study. Enjoyed it. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at gctnetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission.
transmission. You know what? We haven't used it in a while. <laughs> I wrote a book. <laughs>